Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company again on this beautiful, warm, I think it's going to get cold, but a nice warm Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfelt. And great to be chatting to you today on Judaism 101.9. And to begin with, today is the 18th day of seven. The 18th day of seven. Now, whenever we hear that number 18 as Jews, just a basic of Judaism, we think of Chai. 18 is Yud and Chet. Chai. Chai means life. So today really is the life of Sivan. Well, what happened to make this the life of Sivan um, and not necessarily going that far back? But did you know that it was during this week in 1967? On, uh, on or about Chai Sivan. In fact, I think it was exactly the 19th of June in 1967. It was the very first time that the Spanish cabinet approved a bill which granted religious freedom to all other religions other than Catholicism within Spain. Isn't that amazing? It took until 1967. And this was something that had been put into play by the Spanish authorities, government, whatever you want to call it, in 1492 to begin what was known as the Spanish Inquisition. And this lasted then for close on 500 years that we had the Inquisition or we had written into law there that the only religion within Spain that was allowed, that was approved, was Catholicism. And uh, Judaism certainly was uh, the one that bore the brunt of all of this um, with the expulsion of the Jews from Spain, with the Inquisition, with the forced conversions, with all of that that happened. But quite amazingly, it was this week and maybe round about now, the time of Chai Sivan, round about the 18th of Sivan in the year 1967, that we had that triumph which was only then brought into law, by the way, and the official um, overturning of the Spanish Inquisition only happened in December of 1968 that um, actually um, Jews could go about their business as Jews within Spain. Isn't it amazing that something like that lasted all the way until so recently, not that long ago, where if you think about it, there was within a vast, huge, big, Christian country, there was this uh, terrible decree and blot on their um, history um, right up until that time against Jews, against Judaism, and against everything that it stood for. Now, you know that um, the month of Sivan is a fascinating month. And from a Judaism 101.9 point of view, I'd like to explore some of the perhaps uglier parts of the month of Sivan, and hopefully at the end we'll be able to think about turning it all around, but there were really some difficult, dark, harsh things that Jews went through in the month of Sivan. Yes, you know, if we take a look and we think about the problems, the issues um, that we are confronting in uh, today's daily life, and with pandemics and all sorts of other things that come to haunt us along the way, we cannot possibly... Uh, believe we can't really fathom or think about um, just how um, powerful and how difficult and how harsh the times were for the Jewish people in times gone by. 
And those times and those difficulties were things that um, really are uh, unfathomable and unimaginable from a practical point of view when you think about just how difficult it was for Jews to live in times gone by. And of course, every month, every month of Sivan that comes along at the beginning of the month, we have something strange that happens. And that is at the beginning of the month of Sivan, there is something unique that happens when we pronounce and we bless the new month. In Shul, when we have the Birkat HaChodesh, the blessing of the month that takes place and we say um, on what day um, the month is going to enter, what day it's going to begin, and we give a bracha to it, we give a blessing to it. When it comes to the month of Sivan, it specifically tells us in our Sidurim that we say the prayer of Arachamim. And that prayer of Arachamim is all about the death of people, of martyrs, of holocausts, of all sorts of terrible things that happened. And the question is why? <coughs> if you read the fine print and you take a look at it in a uh, bigger fashion, you suddenly realize that this has something to do with some terrible, terrible calamities that befell the Jewish people and that all seem to have come about. You know, these dates keep on coming up. One of the things that I've explained to you before on Judaism 101.9 is how dates keep on recurring. And there is a date that will be coming up this week on Friday, which is the 20th of Sivan, that keeps on recurring throughout Jewish history as a tragic, terrible, harsh and difficult date for the Jewish people and for Jews everywhere. And today, just as a matter of going through some of the history, I'd like to tell you the story of Chav Sivan, of the 20th of Sivan, and how it came to be that this was such a dark and difficult date, and as I said before, a blot on uh, the uh, history of many a place and many a country and the first that we're going to deal with is something that happened more than 800 years ago in a city called Blois, that's B-L-O-I-S, in France. It's on the River Loire, and it's not far from, from a place called Orléans, or spelt Orléans. And um, this is a place that has a population of about 25,000 people, apparently, today. Um, but it has the distinction of being one of the very few cities in France or for that matter, in all of Europe, where for the past 800 years, there was absolutely no Jewish community. And the reason was that Jews simply shunned that horrible place where the Jewish community was so cruelly destroyed as a result of a false accusation against Jews that took place in the year 1171. So we're going way back to the year 1171 in France, and what actually happened there. Now, we know that there have been many, many false accusations made by the enemies of the Jews against, um, against Jews. And um, the one that became so well known throughout Jewish history was something called a blood libel. And what were the blood libels? The blood libels um, stated, of course, um, a thumbsuck uh, and a, 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 a terrible, terrible nightmare that uh, was invented to try and um, find against Jews in every possible way was that the Jews used to use Christian blood for the Pesach Matzah or for other uh, bizarre and fictitious rituals. And um, the 
a first accusation of this kind actually came from England in 1144, but it was repeated many, many times across Europe, and it lasted, by the way, all the way till the famous Bayless case that took place in 1911 in all Christian lands. And this particular type of slander cost the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews along the way. It was the most terrible, terrible thing, and nothing could have been worse, perhaps, than what happened in 1171 in France with this story of a terrible blood libel. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Great, and welcome back. Yes, we're exploring the 20th of Sivan in Jewish history. And as we said, if we go back to 1171, terrible, tragic events that happened, perpetrated against the Jewish people um, living in a town called Blois in France. And the story is recorded by Rabbi Ephraim of Bonn, who was a great Talmudic scholar and uh, lived at the time. And uh, Rabbi Ephraim ben Yaakov, uh, witnessed the terrible massacres as well that were perpetrated by the Crusaders. Now, if we take a look at what he says, um, it is really, really grisly reading and um, quite a difficult chapter to actually speak about. He writes, it happened in the year 1171, which was 4931 in the Jewish calendar. At that time, he says, they lived in Blois, a, about 40 uh, Jews, and one of them, Isaac ben Eliezer, rode up to the river one Thursday towards evening, shortly before Pesach. It happened then that a stable servant rode up at the same time to water the horse of his master. The Jew bore on his chest an untanned hide, but one of the corners had become loose and was sticking out of his coat. When in the gloom the servant's horse saw the white side of the hide, it was frightened and sprang back, and it could not be brought to the water. Now, the Christian servant was a simple peasant who had often heard the priest preach in church that Jews use Christian blood for their Pesach matzah and wine, warning all his flock to keep a watchful eye over their children during the Pesach season. Now, when his horse took fright, he hastened back to his master and he said, Hear, my lord, what a certain Jew did. As I rode behind him towards the river, in order to give your horse a drink, I saw him throw a little Christian child, whom the Jews have killed, into the water. When I saw this, I was horrified and hastened back quickly, for fear he might kill me too. Even the horse under me was so frightened by the splash of water that he, when, he, when he threw the child in it, that he would not drink. The servant knew that his master would rejoice at the misfortune of the Jews because he hated a certain Jewess who was influential in the city at the time. He wasn't mistaken. For his master said, now I can have my vengeance on that woman and the rest of the Jews. The next morning, the master wrote to the ruler of the city, who was known as Theobald, who was the son of Theobald, Count of Blois, the son-in-law of King Louis VII of France. The Christians called him the good, but he was far from good. He was a wicked and cruel man. When the ruler heard the accusation, he became enraged and had all the Jews of Blois seized and thrown into prison, where they were all put into iron chains. The only exception was that of uh, the influential Jewish woman, Dame Pulcellina, whom the Count admired for her wisdom and her beauty. 
She had often been able to get favors from the ruler of the Jewish merchants of Blois, but now the Count's wife, Alex, daughter of the king, gave strict orders to the servants not to allow her to speak to her husband for fear she might get him to change his mind. The ruler had no evidence against the Jews except for that half-wit stable servant. The count was ready to make a deal with the Jews and free them for a large sum of ransom money. He sent a Jew to the neighboring communities and asked them how much they would give to free their brethren. The Jews consulted with the imprisoned hostages through messengers and the latter advised offering only 100 pounds in addition to their uncollected debts from the Christian debtors amounting to the sum of 180 pounds. The Jews in the dungeon told their brethren in the other communities not to pay a high ransom for their lives, lest the Christians should find it profitable to imprison Jews for ransom in this way. However, nothing came of the negotiations because the bishop arrived on the scene and insisted that the Jews should be condemned to die and he would prove their guilt. Could you imagine all of this going on? Um, just as an aside here, of course, there's an account um, of the... Uh, Terrible occurrences at Blois on the 20th of Sivan in 1171. Could you imagine all of this going on? And then the bishop arriving and the priest told the count to have the witnesses tested or the witness tested by the ordeal of water to discover if he had told the truth. So they were going to take this um, half-wit, as it was termed there, um, servant and test him. The test was to be arranged as follows. A huge tank would be filled with water, and the servant who saw the Jew throw the child into the river would be put into it. If he floated, his words were true, and if he sank, he had lied. Now, the Count of Blois commanded that the test be carried out forthwith, and the priest had so arranged in advance that the servant should not sink in the water. And just such was justice in those days. The Jews were found guilty on the basis of that water test, and they were condemned to be burned alive. At the wicked ruler's command, they were taken and put into a wooden house around which were placed uh, thorn bushes, and as they were led forth, they were told, you can save your lives if you'll leave your religion and accept ours. The Jews all refused. They were beaten, and they were tortured to make them accept the Christian religion, but still they refused. Rather, they encouraged each other to remain steadfast and die for the sanctification of God's name. At the Count's command, two of the leading Jews, who were both Kohanim, Rabbi Yechiel, the son of Rabbi David HaKoyen, and Rabbi Yekutiel, the, the son of Rabbi Yehuda HaKoyen, were taken and tied to a single stake to be burned in front of the others, so as to make the others convert. They were both saintly and pious men of great Torah learning, being the disciples of Rabbeinu Yaakov Tam and Rabbeinu Shmuel ben Meir, the grandson of Rashi. A third prominent Jew, Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Aaron, was also tied with them to the stake. At the ruler's command, fire was set to those bushes. The fire spread to the cords on their hands so that they snapped. The three Jews, tied there at the stake, came out of the fire and called to the Christians who had assembled to watch them die. They said, by your own laws, you should let us go free, for you see that we came out alive from the ordeal by fire. They struggled to get out, but they were overpowered and pushed back into the house, and the house was set on fire. They came out again and seized one of the executioners and dragged him along with them towards the fire, 
When they were right at the fire, the armed soldiers pulled themselves together, rescued the Christian from their hands, killed them with their swords, and then threw their bodies into the fire. A certain Jew by the name of Rabbi Boruch ben David Hakoyan was there and saw all this at that time with his own eyes. He lived in the territory of that ruler and had come there to arrange terms for the release of the Jews of Blois, but unfortunately he had not succeeded. However, a settlement was made by him for 1,000 pounds to save the other Jews of that accursed ruler. He also saved the scrolls of the Torah and other sacred books. Now, this terrible atrocity happened on Wednesday, the 20th of Sivan, in the year 4931. It was then May the 26th in 1171. All these facts were written down by the Jews of Orleans, a city close by to that of the martyrs, and made known to Rabbeinu Yaakov, Reb Meir, Rashi's grandson and greatest rabbi of the time. It was also reported in, a, in, the, in that letter that as the flames mounted high, the martyrs began to sing in unison, a melody that began softly but ended with a full voice. They sang that the Christian came and asked us, what kind of a song is this? For we have never heard such a sweet melody. We knew it well, he said, for it was the song of Aleinu, Aleinu l'shabeach l'adon hakol. It is our duty to praise the Lord for of all, for he has not made us like the nations of the lands. Rabbi Ephraim Bon recorded this amazing, the amazing facts as witnessed by the Sedra Baruch, that the, the bodies of the martyrs were not consumed by the fire. Only their souls were released. When the crowd saw this, they were amazed and they said to one another, truly these are saints. For a long time, the 31 or 32 martyrs of Blois were not allowed to be buried. They were left at the bottom of the hill at the very spot that they were burnt, and it was only later that Jews came and buried their bones. Rabbi Ephraim adds the anguished lament, O daughters of Israel, weep for the souls that were burned for the sanctification of the name, and let your brothers, the entire house of Israel, bewail the burning. All the communities of France, of England, and of the Rhineland took upon themselves to observe the 20th of Sivan as a day of mourning and fasting. This was also confirmed by Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbeinu Yaakov, who wrote letters to them informing them that it was proper to fix that day as a 24-hour fast. Rabbeinu Yaakov Tam died a week after the Kiddush Hashem in Blois. Now, an amazing story that happened all the way back then, but there was more. There were other things that happened on this date later on in history. Following this massacre, um, it was set up as a fast day, but this was reinforced after thousands of German Jews were butchered during the 1289 Rindfleisch massacre at the same time of the year. And in time, this day became a memorial for the 1648 Cossack riots, which are known as Tach Vitat, um, where many Jews met their deaths at the same time. And today, it is observed by some communities as a fast day for all of these reasons. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So now let's fast forward a little bit in history and come to 1650. So we uh, spoke about 
1171, we spoke about um, the terrible massacre that happened in 1289. Let's go to 1650, um, which is 5410. Now, during this period, um, in the years 5408 and 5409, a delightful fellow, and I mean that facetiously, by the name of Bogdan Khmelnitsky or Khmelniki, led his Cossack hordes on the rampage throughout the Ukraine, Podolia, and Vokhalin, destroying hundreds of Jewish communities. The blood of hundreds of thousands of Jewish people, we are told, flowed like water as he mercilessly annihilated city after city. At the time, um, in Poland, the Jewish communal life was just about autonomous and it was governed with the consent of the Polish authorities by a council that was made up of several sages and community leaders. And they were given all sorts of rights over the four lands because Poland then was comprised of four separate provinces. And this body met semi-annually at the trade fairs that took place at Yaroslav and Lublin. And the council was active for some time, uh, for some 200 years rather, until 1764 when it was actually eventually disbanded. Now, after these massacres of 5408 and 5409, the council met and they designated the date of the 20th of Sivan to be designated as a public fast day. And it was particularly in merry, merit, in memory rather of these destroyed communities and particularly the deaths of two great leaders of the time, Rabbi Gil Michal of Nemirov and Rabbi Shimshon of Ostropolia, who were murdered on that particular day. Now, there is an amazing uh, account that is given by Rabbi Nosenot of Hanover in um, a work called Yevan Metsula, where he gives us an account of the council's decision. He says, it was agreed among them, and they accepted it upon themselves and upon the generations after them, that fasts be held in all of the four lands on the 20th of Sivan every year. For on that day, the calamities that destroyed the great community of Nemirov began. And this date was doubly tragic. For the evil decree of 4931, which we spoke about before, the one in France, um, also was promulgated on this date. He says, every male above the age of 18 and every female above the age of 15 are obligated to fast for the entire day as on other public fasts. And similarly, the portion of Vayichal is read as on other public fast days. The Jewish communities of other countries who are not bound by the enactments of the council voluntarily accepted the day as a time of mourning and fasting and special kinnas. Special lamentations were composed to be recited on this day. Remember, this is the 20th of Sivan coming up on Friday. The Council of Lithuania decreed that um, all should refrain from wearing excessively elaborate clothing for a three-year period um, in mourning for those events. That was way back then. They also declared that it is right that anyone who fears God should reflect upon what has transpired and mourn over the terrible tribulations which we have experienced. They ruled that no music be played, even at weddings, for a period of one year. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes. Yes, and welcome back. We're talking about the 20th of Sivan, which is coming up on Friday, and all the calamities that befell the Jewish people over this period of time. And today it is marked as a date on which we just reflect and think about 
all the calamities and all the tragedies and all the difficulties that actually befell our people, whether it was in the uh, 12th century or whether it was in the 15th century or whether it, was, whether it was in the 17th century, all sorts of terrible and dark times that befell our people. But perhaps we need to go back to where we began. And that is that although some of these decrees, some of these terrible decrees, such as the Spanish Inquisition, which we spoke about right at the beginning, happened to hang over the Jewish people and, in fact, the whole world as this dark pall of difficulty and of uh, coldness and darkness and uh, banishments and punishments and all sorts of terrible, terrible things, eventually it was rescinded. It may have taken a long time, but at the same time, I find it fascinating that it happened to really gain traction at the same time, in the same week of uh, the Jewish calendar, that although we may be experiencing darkness, although we may be going through darkness, although our people have suffered in the most terrible, the most horrific, the most uh, dramatic and the most heinous way over a period of time, eventually the decrees are annulled. Eventually the decrees are rescinded. When we get the message, when we realize that um, darkness and difficulty and coldness and all the terrible things that we think of as being um, horrific punishments or constraints or restrictions, eventually those negative decrees are rescinded. And this is what we think about and we talk about when we think about um, the coming of Mashiach, when we think about the fact that all the darkness is going to be turned into light, that all the coldness is going to be turned into warmth, that all the harshness is going to be turned into goodness, kindness, and uh, softness. And all of those things are actually dependent upon our attitude and the things that we do in order to enable that. So let's be a little kinder. Let's be a little bit better. Let's be a little bit softer and bring a little bit more light into this otherwise seemingly dark and difficult world. And we'll quickly realize that with one small little bit of darkness, we can dispel I mean, one small little bit of light, rather, we can dispel a tremendous amount of darkness. The um, darkness can be pushed back. It can be changed. And hopefully we can do that and we can bring about the gu'ula, the redemption that we hope and pray for each and every day of our lives. Looking forward to being back with you again, same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9. I just want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbos, great Shabbat up ahead. And I look forward to being back with you again, same time, same place, next week. Take care.